Hello, everybody. Hey, guys. What's up? It's your hosts, Lisa and Tracy. Welcome to episode two of Appreciate Rex, podcast about residency. What are you drinking on our episode today, Lise? Well, you handed me Mango Cart, which is actually one of my favorite beers. It's also one of my favorite beers. I just recently discovered it, though. And what about you? I am drinking Trader Joe's Chardonnay. It's a $5 bottle of wine, but it tastes like 20 bucks. <laughs> That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Yeah, so our first episode was recorded on November 1st. Mm. Today's November 28th, mm. so it's been... A month. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like so much has happened to me. Not me personally, but um, just through residency. Totally. Since then. Well, I'm excited to hear about all the new updates. How about you? Any updates for you? Well, in terms of residency, I transitioned from ob to pediatrics. So I've been on pediatrics, inpatient pediatrics for the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. And similarly to you, a lot has happened within mm-hmm. that rotation. So we'll kind of journey through that together. Yeah. How was your vacation? Oh, yeah. Vacation was good. I did what I said I would do, which was basically nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I did camp, but I spent a lot of the time actually trying to figure out how to edit the podcast. Mm. And I'm glad I had time to do that because mm-hmm. it did take a lot of work. But um, now I know what makes it easier for me. Yeah. Um, and now I know how to speak slower yeah. and speak better. Yeah, I think actually I'm pretty happy we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. We started doing this podcast because it's made me more conscious of how I speak. Yeah. Um, just in real life, too. So, totally. yeah. And so much of medicine is about communication. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's good to kind of hear ourselves and see how we communicate mm-hmm. and sound to other people. Yeah. yeah. So you came back from vacation and you started triage, am I correct? Uh, yeah, I started triage. So that means I do cross-cover call for the for the wards mm-hmm. every five days. And that was my first ever time, first time ever. And I think that's why I feel like I've been through a lot in this past four weeks, mm-hmm. just because being someone who's on cross-cover call, you really deal with emergencies Mm -hmm. that's your job you deal with putting out fires crashing patients and yeah i mean on my first shift at the very end of my shift it was just in the last hour one of my patients um well technically not really my patient Mm because i'm not the primary but Mm -hmm. i was in charge of cross covering her Mm -hmm. because she was in my territory right um she passed away and so i was like wow you had to declare them dead so I didn't declare them, actually, because a code blue was called, and then a bunch of people were already there, mm-hmm. and it was like the ICU attending was there, right. and then my senior was there, too, and he basically just said, they've got it, and then we actually had to take care of other people who were in AFib with RVR, so mm-hmm. we kind of just let that team handle it. Right. So um, I did not declare uh, her dead, but I chart-reviewed her just like 10 minutes after the code blue was called and mm-hmm. you know they they wrote that she passed so yeah yeah that's tough yeah. i actually i'm um, on inpatient pediatrics like i mentioned and for the first time ever i experienced a code white which is essentially a code blue for children so that was my yeah. first time and code blues in itself are pretty traumatic but when it happens to a child, that's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. Whole nother ball game. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Had, have you been through a code white before? No, I haven't. I've heard them being called, but I was on wards, these mm. wards, and it would be in the PICU or something mm. like that. Yeah. But gosh, yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, you did tell me a little bit about this when we saw each other a few days ago mm-hmm. but that sounds so traumatic and sad it, it was yeah so so what had happened it's the it was a 2-year-old male who 
was in remission for cancer. And it wasn't my primary patient, but from what I understand, he came with a chief complaint of constipation. So something very seemingly benign. Anyway, long story short, he ended up having um, a herniation of his central nervous system. And so he actually started to desaturate to like the 40s and normal was like 90s. That's why the cold white was called. The nurse had had noted that vital and he was altered. And so the, the team came running and I didn't go in. There was too many cooks in the kitchen. And it wasn't my mm-hmm. primary patient, so I didn't feel the need to go in there. Mm. But mom was escorted out, and she was obviously in distress. She she wasn't bawling. She was crying, but not bawling. And mm-hmm. looking at mom mm-hmm. made me cry. But I knew I couldn't full-on ball, start to bawl, so I had to hold it together. But there were definitely t- pools of tears pooling up in my eyes, looking oh my at gosh. mom. And yeah, your heart just goes out for her. <laughs> your yeah. heart just goes out because a two-year-old should not go into respiratory distress like that. Um, and the PICU team, the pediatric intensive care team, came by to intubate the patient. And the fact that the patient was two years old it was just devastating because my niece is actually two years old. So I couldn't help but think of her during the whole situation as well. Yeah. And mom was actually brought into the room after the intubation and looking at mom go to the child and caress his head. I, I, that's another point where I, I just started to tear up as well. Yeah. It's really hard. And I noticed throughout the rest of that day it was an extremely busy day and there were other patients to care for mm-hmm. i noticed i was working slower mm-hmm. and just not being as productive as i usually am yeah because i was still processing the trauma of that code white and i was talking about it with one of the co-interns and she was more affected by it than i was because it was her actual patient and i was like do you feel like you're moving slower now she's mm-hmm. like oh most definitely Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how crazy it is in medicine where we're ex- we witness something so traumatic as that and we're expected to go on with the rest of the day as if nothing happened. So it's, it's yeah. a pretty hard job. And I think we've ta- we talked about this in episode one as well. But this is not an easy job. We witness a lot of traumatic things and we have to work really hard through the trauma. Yeah. Because the next patient that you have to take care of, they're not going to care. I mean, they might care if Mm -hmm. you told them, but they're going to expect you, the doctor, to be having all of your attention focused on their care. Right. So yeah, there's like no time to think about what just happened. But you did mention how one of the attendings made the time for you guys to regroup a little bit and go over what happened. Yeah, he he was a great attending. He offered support and time to debrief before we continued on with the rest of our day which was which was very helpful and some people utilized it but some of us had just so much work to do that yeah i know we couldn't stop pete's wards is all about discharging it is within a day so gosh yeah we had a full list that day too my gosh. We were in the middle of rounds when the when the code white was called. Ugh, and then you have to just pick yourself back up and go mm-hmm. back to rounds? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was a tough day. And it was a tough week. And actually, this past Wednesday, we had another debrief specifically for emotional support for the attendings that were involved. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really good. The hematology oncology doctors were there as well because this patient was a a cancer patient in remission. Uh, The program director for the pediatric program was there. The attending that um, led the code white was there. And then a few of the pediatric residents and myself as well were there to process what happened with a a psychologist. Oh, wow. That's really great. Mm -hmm. Oh, was it Kristen? Oh my god, I used her. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. 
I'll, we'll go into more about that later because we were talking about getting a therapist. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's awesome, actually. Yeah. So it sounds like it's not necessarily the culture that's like the culture of the program that's yeah. forcing you to go back to work. It's just the sheer amount of work you have to do based on the job that this is. Precisely. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good that it's not really the culture of the program to be no. like. I think I think the culture of the program is quite healthy. Yeah. Actually, and, and that's another thing I wanted to kind of bring up and how I, I think personally that the culture of medicine has changed mm-hmm. a lot over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. at least the past few decades, I'd say, hmm. where it's okay as a physician to be vulnerable. And hmm. there seems to be more of an openness to have spaces to discuss physician vulnerability. Because hmm. it was so cool that the fact that at this debrief, there were not just residents there. There were attendings yeah. and not just regular pediatric attendings. There were hematology and oncology specialists. And when something like that happens, the mm-hmm. hierarchy fades. Yeah. You, Aww, w- what it goes all... down to is, is humanity. You know, yeah. the hematology oncology doctors are just as fallible as we are as residents, you know. Yeah, so I think that the culture of medicine has has made great strides in the past couple of decades i do think there's still room for improvement and it's hard though to make improvement when the solution for improvement is more staff and more physicians for example with the pediatric program at our particular hospital i believe that there needs to be more residents given the amount of patients that they get i 100 percent agree they are overworked there's not enough coverage Yes. And the system, to be frank, is not as efficient as it could be. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And, I mean, they know that, but they've tried, apparently. And Yeah. yeah. I mean, on my experience for pediatric wards, when the medical student, when we had two or three medical students. Extremely helpful. It just made a world of a difference. Yeah. And so that just shows that we just needed more people. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they're the tertiary center for pediatrics in this entire region. Mm-hmm. So everything gets sent here. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I even told them, like, hey, if you need other people from family medicine to speak into, I would be willing to help. Because. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not just it's not just them saying it. It's other people who are rotating in yeah. their field that yeah. are saying it. Yeah. What did they say to that when you said that? Um, well, the person I was talking to kind of just laughed it off. Like, mm. sure. Yeah. It's hard to change a system that's already used to a certain way of functioning. Oh, yeah, totally. Nobody wants to change because it's uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, But change has to happen. Anyway, I'm grateful that our program (laughs) has a lot more coverage and we share that with our internal medicine colleagues. Yeah. That's an interesting thing, though, because when you're applying to residency, Mm -hmm. you always want to go to the tertiary center or the the center that has the most volume because yeah. that's where you learn. That's where you see the zebra yep. cases. That's where you see the yeah the interesting academic cases that you'll never hear about yeah. again. But to have experienced that is yeah. great for your training. Mm-hmm. But then in reality now when we're going through residency, it can be so exhausting right. when, oh, my God, another patient is being transferred over right. from that hospital again because, you know, we're the last resort. Yeah. Yeah. We have so. all the specialists. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to see that that divide or that shift. Yeah. Because ideally, idealistically, it's great to go to a tertiary center for training. Right. But in reality, it can be exhausting on a daily basis. Exactly. Yeah. I kind of wish I was managing your your average bronchitis <laughs> RSV kid and not kids with acute lymphocytic Cancer. leukemia. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Now that you're going through Pete's wards, I, I'm glad we can talk about it because it's so sad to see so many cancer patients. Yeah. We always had so many cancer patients, yeah. at least a third. Yeah. And it's just crazy to me because my brothers are almost 20, or I think they are 20. Sorry, <laughs> they're 20. Um, and I took it for granted that they even reached that age. Mm-hmm. You know, because cancer can show up in the teens yeah um it's not necessarily it's not usually in the babies it's like older Mm -hmm. i don't know the exact date range but older near 7 to 14 and to have lived that much of a life and then suddenly develop cancer is just 
devastating yeah as a child and i mean we're, we're seeing two three four years old four year olds with cancer as well wow that's crazy i didn't see that mm. wow yeah i had a kid that came in um for fever and sore throat found to have relapse of his pre-b cell oh my gosh all and is going through reinduction chemotherapy right now how old was he sorry he's three years old oh my gosh he's so young yeah and then the the parents are getting a divorce (gasps) yeah i mean i can't even imagine that must add so much stress to the marriage jesus yeah it's either it either makes you or breaks you when your when your child has cancer or something traumatic like my I don't know if I ever told you, but my brother has, like, mental illness. He oh. was diagnosed with bipolar when he was in his 20s. Mm. I got out of college. And that took a strain on my parents' marriage, I think, from what I yeah. And so a child with, whether it be cancer, or mental illness, or any other chronic illness, really puts your marriage through the test. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Speaking of marriage, how has your relationship been through residency? Oh, it's it's going well. I live with him, so that's nice. I don't have to I don't have the time to if we didn't live together, I feel right. like I wouldn't have the time or energy to drive somewhere to meet up. So that's right. been really nice. I also realized because he's not in medicine, mm-hmm. he of course tries to always make me feel better. Whenever I complain about something that happened, he says, Oh, it's okay or something along the lines of that. Right. But Sometimes I want somebody to really understand what I'm going through, right. the emotions that I'm going through, and um, the situations that I'm going through. Right. So there have been times where I get annoyed. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I got annoyed. Um, but at least I realized that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found a counselor or mm-hmm. a therapist mm-hmm. through our workplace. Mm-hmm. And it's been helpful because she deals with residents um, and the things that they go through. Right. So, yeah, I mean, my boyfriend's been super supportive always, especially when I come home from night shifts, things like that. Um, but now I've just learned the avenues that I need to, um, or now I've learned the people I need to talk to for certain things. Yeah. Like, I I don't really feel like I need to burden him with all of my work stuff. Right. But now I, you know, now I can talk to Kristen, who is one of the therapists that's provided. And yeah, she's really great. And I mean, you even worked with her Mm -hmm. for that patient. Yeah. So at the debrief that I was talking about earlier, one of the residents who was close to the, this kid that had the code white called, who, by the way, um, was pronounced brain dead after intubation. So he had to, he unfortunately passed. So, my gosh. Yeah. So the, the resident that was taking care of him was talking to us during our session about how it's hard for her family members to understand mm-hmm. what's going on. Of course, you know, you hear kid passing away at two years old from a relapse of cancer and you're yeah. like, oh, that's so sad. But you don't truly fully understand right? unless you witness it firsthand in right. the medical field. It's, yeah. Because it's sad, but also as the doctor, you have this these other emotions, like the responsibility of exactly. like, oh, what what could I have done differently? Exactly. And yeah, I agree. My boyfriend um, just doesn't know that because yeah. he doesn't need to think about that. Right. But then when I was talking to Kristen, we like really went through those emotions of could I have done something differently, right. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's like guilt. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we shouldn't put blame on our loved ones that are not in the field of medicine. Yeah. Because how would they understand? Exactly, yeah. I have friends who are in rando statistician mathematic fields, and <laughs> they try to talk to me. I'm like, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Or the film business, film industry. Yeah. I don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But it is important to have each other to be able to process through these Hard things that we experienced together. Mm-hmm. What, how does your boyfriend support you? <laughs> Just like the emotional support. Mm. Yeah. For example, when I came home from my shift today, mm-hmm. um, he says, I'm so proud of you. 
you're a hero things like that which is really cute that's cute and i think yeah just emotional support that's important yeah do you have any updates on your dating life tracy so (laughs) so i actually um in the beginning of residency started going on dates with someone that works at the hospital (laughs) also happens to be a resident and let me tell you dating during residency wouldn't recommend it Hmm. yeah we are we were both on extremely busy rotations simultaneously and any day off that the other person would get is was not a day off for the other person so actually today we talked about it and we will not continue to date which i'm okay with actually yeah so i'm not I'm not hurt by yeah. it. We were on the same page, which is really good. But it's hard to get to know someone when you can't hang out with them in person. Yeah. Did you guys text a lot or I am not a huge texter mm-hmm. on the phone here and there. But what I've noticed, too, is that on the phone, you end up just talking about work. So it's almost the opposite problem that you have where you feel like, Talking to someone who's not in the medical oh. field, it's hard for them to understand. Whereas me, I go home and I try to escape from work. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to talk about and It's the that. last thing I want to talk about. But then it's like, what else do you talk about? Yeah. So there's pros and cons to dating and residency. Yeah. Mostly cons because there's really just no time. Mm. I see. COVID makes it particularly hard That's too. That's another thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you would want to date long-term someone in the medical field or would you prefer not to honestly i i have thought about it i think there's pros and cons to both yeah uh con in the medical field being you don't want to talk about work pros being they understand you don't have to really explain yourself Mm -hmm. and the non-medical pros your life can be revolved around something that's not medicine Mm-hmm. cons they may not understand fully mm-hmm. so i honestly don't really care either way i think it just as long as a person is compatible yeah i'm compatible with the per- as long as i'm compatible with the person we vibe well yeah of course it yeah. shouldn't matter whether mm-hmm. they're missing or not i just i find it funny because one of the pros for dating someone in medicine would be mm-hmm. my mom would automatically approve oh 100 <laughs> percent. asian moms 100 percent. yeah i don't yeah. have to i don't have to explain anything else oh yeah <laughs> he could be a, the jerkiest jerk of all i know but if he's a doctor i know who cares exactly Ugh. <laughs> yeah it's kind of annoying that that's part of the culture but it is yeah it's the reality and, you know, I think people outside of medicine are so maybe enamored by doctors. They're like, oh, wow, you're a doctor. Mm. But once you're in it, you're like, eh, you're not <laughs> as impressed by the person. Oh, I see. You know like what I'm saying? when you're in the relationship. Well, no, I'm or- saying when you, when you yourself are a doctor mm-hmm. and you're just not as enamored oh, I see. as, other, as, uh, as non-doctors are of doctors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty still enamored by, like, interventional radiologists. I think they're pretty badass. <laughs> but Is there some someone specific? Should I check the roster? No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying in general, I think the specialty is pretty cool. Yeah. But I think people, maybe non-doctor people think, like, oh, my gosh, you're a doctor. Like, you've achieved this great thing. And we have worked hard. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to downplay our achievements. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we're all still human. And yeah, it, maybe it's not as exciting to date a doctor than as other people think it is. And dating a doctor, especially during residency, means not having that much time exactly. together. And, and you're dating a chronically fatigued person. <laughs> yeah. And doctors get burnt out. So they might not necessarily be the most emotionally supportive, yeah. like happy people to yeah. be dating. I don't know. I agree. I, don't know. I think I'd be, I'd be, I'm a horrible person to date right now. Aww. I will give you no time and I'm emotionally exhausted. <laughs> also, what do you think about the fact that we're women doctors? Mm. If you were to date someone who's not in the medical field 
and you announce yourself as being a doctor, I don't think it would have the same effect as if if you were a male who announced it. You think the male doctors have more brownie points for being a male doctor and for women it actually deters people away? I think it could because you're kind of flipping the um, gender roles. Exactly. Yeah. You're the you're the breadwinner slash, for lack of a better term, the higher like ranked yeah. member of society. Yeah. I, I just remember when I was dating as a med student, mm-hmm. I don't think people were necessarily that impressed that uh-huh. I was a med student. They were probably just like, oh, that's that's cool. Mm-hmm. I wonder if... You wonder now that you're a physician, I'll be like a resident physician mm-hmm. if people will be more intimidated yeah maybe i don't know something to think i think about. it's person dependent mm-hmm. i think some guys have issues with hierarchical things but if a guy is secure in, in him if a guy is secure in himself true he shouldn't have issue with that true but yeah that's my exciting dating life so that was a very recent update that was a very recent today. update oh yeah. Well, I sounds like you guys are on the same page at least, yes. so you can still be friends if you yeah. see each other in the hospital totally. and all that. We actually have another rotation coming up together. Oh, wow. So we better be good friends. <laughs> what rotation is it? It's OB-GYN. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's not an easy time. It's like the least ideal time to date. Med school, it's a pretty good time. Yeah. I think people have more time in med school, especially the fourth year. Yeah. That's actually my situation. Mm. I met my boyfriend before fourth year. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Yeah. Some people make it work. Some people who are extremely good at commitment. I do not fall into that category. <laughs> and any free time I have, any little amount of free time I have, I like to use for self-care and mm-hmm. hanging out with friends, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. That sounds like the most ideal thing to do when you have time off. Because when you're trying to date someone, you have to put so much energy into presenting you yourself you and do. trying to impress someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just, I, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. During your time off, you just want to recuperate. Yes. You want to sleep in and you want to do your laundry and clean your house. <laughs> because <laughs> no time for that during residency. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well, one thing I definitely wanted to talk about during our second episode yeah. was my first patient death. Hmm. Yeah. Because I remember last time you mentioned the one that one of your patients mm-hmm. had passed away, the yeah. one that you had taken care of mm-hmm. in the clinic, and then you thinking about all the things you could have done differently. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of a, a rite of passage mm-hmm. to have gone through that to have gone through a patient death and just go through all the emotions of like, oh my gosh, what could I have done differently? Right. Feeling that responsibility and the guilt and things like that. So it happened, like I said, at the end of my cross-covering call. Right. And Sage renal disease patient. I had so much guilt afterwards. I carried a lot of guilt because there was many thoughts running through my head about if I could have done something differently. Right. Um, in retrospect, though, or, I mean, when I talked to seniors and I even reached out to the attending who admitted her yeah. about if there was something I could have done wrong, the general consensus, for the most part, people wouldn't have done anything differently. Yeah. Maybe, like, here or there potentially have done something differently, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really strong. It wasn't a strong sense that I had truly done something wrong yeah. or had been negligent. Yeah. So I did get relief from that. Yeah. Um. But overall, going through that has made me a better person on call. Yeah. Because I've learned to, I've learned to take what the nurses tell me um, seriously. Yeah. Not that I didn't really before, but I think I did get a little annoyed sometimes when I would get calls. Yeah. (laughs) Hammer paged at three a.m. Yeah. Nonstop calls. Sometimes about pain, sometimes about blood pressure. I'm just getting a better sense of knowing when something is more serious yeah. versus not being serious. Right. Yeah, after that after that experience, I now, every time when the nurse calls me, I really respond with an open mind. Yeah. Like, oh, tell me more. Like, the vitals. Um, is the patient 
um, symptomatic yeah. instead of kind of just being like, oh, okay, pain, Tylenol or yeah, things like that. Yeah. I don't know if you felt that ever on your MOD yeah. shift, but on my first one, I did feel a little kind of just annoyed yeah. when I got Paige, which is a bad attitude to have in retrospect. And now after that patient passed, I really think I understand the gravity of um, when people page me. Right. Yeah. Right. And so even though some of them can be not so serious, yeah. now I know that serious things can definitely happen. Definitely. Sorry, I just rambled. I was trying to like figure out what to say. No, but... no, no. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How, how did you feel during your MOD calls? Because yeah. you've had quite a few of them, right? Yeah, I've had quite a few and I still have more to go. I, there were definitely pages that were trivial and that didn't require me to be waking up at 3 Mm -hmm. a.m. But there were also, I think in the beginning of my MOD calls, I was afraid to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so I would go see the patient if it was serious enough. Uh, But it's definitely, I haven't had anyone die on me on an MOD call. Mm. However, there was a patient that was on comfort care recently and I was paged about that person and I remember that was the first time I had seen someone with air hunger which is when someone kind of has their heads extended and is trying to catch their breath. And so I'm really glad that I went with the senior because my senior had seen people in air hunger quite a few times so it was good for me to go with her to see like wow this person's actually suffering so we should start the comfort care measures now nice so So we started morphine yeah to ease the breath of that person and the person ended up passing in the morning after my shift was over but that that was important for me to see to know what that looks like but yeah, there were there are definitely some pages that are that I get annoyed by. Yeah. And but I think it's really big for you that you realize that in yourself mm-hmm. in the beginning and that you are striving to be a better person and a better doctor each and every day. So Thank you. Yeah. I feel like my second shift is so different than the first because now I know what I need to do mm-hmm. and now I understand my role. Yeah. Yeah, it's it it can be scary because you're sort of independent. Right. There is a senior there to help you, but at the same time you don't always want to bother them with any everything. Right. Um but also slowly just learning what we what we know and what we don't know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But that that feeling of guilt aside from that time I told you in the last episode, it's come up again since that first episode so you're you're definitely not alone in that mm. yes so, so the second time it came up for me was i had a patient that on a ob i was still an ob kind it was a busy sunday call day and i got a call from one of the postpartum nurses to be like hey doc can you put a discharge order in for this patient and i was it's such a hectic busy day and I just put the discharge order in because they asked me to. Mm. And apparently that person actually had not been rounded on by the postpartum rounder uh, because yeah. it was such a busy day for the postpartum rounder too. Because on weekends, postpartum rounder becomes a gynecology on call. So they were they had a surgery back to back to back to back. Oh my gosh, yeah. And because the time I got the call was around already like evening time. At that time, people should already be rounded on, but it was just, oh, it was wow. just one of those days. And so that person got discharged. The vital signs are stable. The patient was stable. Ended up coming back, readmitted for endometritis, which is an infection mm-hmm. of the uterus. And at that time, point in time, there was no um, indication that she was infected. But I felt such extreme guilt. Mm-hmm. And I had told the attendings. And I told my senior and I told the postpartum round that was on that day that I had put that order in. They could have found out through the computer even before I told them, but I feel I needed to tell somebody. And yeah. I, I told them, like, I take 100% responsibility for that. And luckily the person was alive and, you know, um, 
started on IV antibiotics mm-hmm. for the treatment of the endometritis. And th- similar to you, they the attendings of my senior were very reassuring. They're like, you sh- this is not something you should lose sleep over. Oh, that's very it was good. just one of those days. It's happened. It's happened to the best of us, where we put in orders that we're not like fully conscious of when we <laughs> place them, because it's just a hectic day, and it's 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 it should be on all levels. You know, like the nurse in postpartum should have known that the patient was not rounded on yet or seen by attending before being discharged. So it, it it's I think it's important to tell people rather than hold it to yourself. Definitely. Because when we hold it to ourselves, we feel isolated and alone in it. But when we tell others, we get relief from the freedom that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So I feel you, that, that you're not alone in that guilt. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know the details of it, but I don't think you were directly involved in this person's death. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's that mindset where I personally have not read House of God, but after the patient death, I went online to search about other people's experiences, Mm -hmm. other residents' experiences on Reddit, and a lot of people referenced House of God. Gosh, since I didn't read the book, I don't know the exact line, but one of the rules saying that the patient is the one who's sick and not to forget that. Yeah. because they are they are the they are sick and you're trying to help them but you can't always stop the natural progression of life yeah and yeah in stage renal disease though i we see so much of it yeah and you're just like oh they need dialysis yeah but they're so sick they're super sick yeah and their their blood pressures are so labile um yesterday i had another esrd patient who, whose blood pressures were also labile. And I now going through that experience with that person dying, I now know how severe yeah. they can com- decompensate. Yeah. And so medicine is truly about having, actually having the volume, just yeah. seeing enough people. Yeah. Because you're not going to forget, you're not going to forget them when you live through them. No. But unfortunately, also, something I realized after that patient's death is we are trainees. And in most other fields, if you're a trainee, Mm -hmm. if you make a mistake, you learn from it. Yeah. Maybe you waste a little bit of resources or money for the company or something. But for medicine, it's life and death. And that's scary. It is scary. It's a lot of responsibility. But... It seems like, you know, the attendings have all gone through it. So yeah. my, the attending that I talked to, he was pretty gentle on me. Yeah. And I think that comes with just all of us having to go through it. Yeah. We've all gone through patient deaths. Yeah. And, or we all will eventually. Yeah. And we'll all have to go through that feeling of guilt. But from that comes learning. And exactly. then the next time when you have a patient that's very similar, you know that. Exactly. You know what to do. Exactly. Should have just gone into finance. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I could. Oh my gosh. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it is fun to joke about, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every mistake is a learning opportunity. Yeah. And it sucks to make mistakes. No one wants to make mistakes. Yeah. But even as attendings, attendings make mistakes too. Hmm. And true. it's hard with being an attending at least as an intern we're like oh we have the layers of senior and then attending and then specialists overwatching us yeah to to cushion us but as an attending or especially as a specialist that's why i think the um hematology oncology doctors with the pediatric case were so devastated because or most struck with guilt because they were the specialists they were the ones they were the ones that set the tone that's another thing when they see mm. a patient, they're like, oh, I don't think this is this because the presenting system, symptom is this. And it turns out to be a completely different thing. When you're the boss, when you're the specialist, the intern will trust the specialist, right? She's like, oh, you're the specialist. But that's a, that was another learning point for me. And I think 
will continue to be is that we need to make our own clinical judgments of how patients present Mm -hmm. rather than blindly following and trusting the specialists, Mm -hmm. even though they have years and years of experience on us, if we think that something is off. Wow. Well, now I'm kind of curious. I don't know if you can tell me more details, but did the Hemonk doctors miss something that made them feel so guilty? Because it sounds so hard to predict that he would herniate or, I mean, I don't know the details. So the presenting symptom was like gastrointestinal in nature. Okay. Um, I don't know the details. I didn't inquire after, but the neurological stuff was in the background. And the rate statistically of... CNS relapse of the type of cancer that this kid had very low so they didn't do imaging of the head because they didn't think they needed no. to no yeah. oh I see yeah Ugh. yeah and and yeah it, it, it wasn't I don't think it was one it was not a clear picture yeah but I think that happens often when one person sets the tone of what they think is going on Absolutely. others blindly follow yeah. And that's why it's so important. Like when I was on, I remember being on medicine wards, we'd get mm-hmm. new patients that were admitted overnight that, and the history and physical were done by the overnight admission team. Mm-hmm. And there were a few cases where I went to go talk to the patient mm-hmm. and what I had read about and what the patient was telling me, two completely different stories. So yeah. I'm like, sorry, HMP of the previous night's team. I'm going to scratch whatever you said yeah. and just focus on whatever the patient said. Yeah. So I think as an intern, like, it's important for us to learn from our elders, but also make our own judgments mm-hmm. and learn and not be afraid to to put our own opinions out there. Mm-hmm. So I think that was something that you're talking about when you were on PEDS where you felt like um, specialist opinions were greatly honored, as they should be, but there was less wiggle room for formulating your own opinions. Mm. I remember I got in trouble once because... Um, I had a patient with pericarditis, sorry, a pericardial effusion, Mm -hmm. and we had cardiology on board. And then my attending, my peds attending, told me to ask the cardiology attending, should we start steroids on this kid? Because he was spiking fevers. Yeah. And the cardiology attending said, it's up to you guys. And then I told that to my peds attending. And then my peds attending again was like, run it by cards. And it was at the end of the day. We were signing out. I was talking with my co-residents. We made the decision not to start steroids because this kid was still spiking fevers. Because nobody was making a decision. Yeah. The, both attendings were basically bouncing back and forth and I was stuck in the middle. Yeah. So I made a decision because something had to be done. And yeah. and then I got in trouble ne- the next day because my peds attending was like, why didn't you talk to the cards attending again? Mm-hmm. And also on top of that, was I tried to consult cards earlier in the day about another patient. Yeah. And he got extremely aggressive and unnecessarily chewed me out, basically asking if he needed to come into the hospital to see this patient. Yeah. So another layer of sometimes consultants not wanting to, or they're not receptive to our questions. Kind of like us on MOD call, cross coverage call, getting pages that we don't want to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. And... Now that I've realized that, I'm just a lot more receptive to what people have to say. Because yeah. they're obviously calling you because they're concerned. Right. So if you look at it in that perspective, right. we're all a team. And they're truly, the nurses are truly our eyes for us. Yeah. They're and with so, the patients 24-7. Yeah. I always say trust the nurses and for pediatrics, trust the parents. Mm. Trust but verify though. Yes. I've gotten in trouble for, tr- like you said, you putting in the discharge summary. Yes. I've also gotten in trouble for for allowing someone to have a pure wick because the nurse said that she couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. But then the surgical resident later was like, oh, you need to assess the patient. Yeah. Don't just let the nurse put a pure wick on. Yeah. A pure wick, for those who don't know, is kind of like a condom catheter for females. It's like a menstrual pad that sucks all the urine from the urethra. Yeah. Fun facts of the day. Yeah. Also, MOD call stands for, what does it stand Medical for? Medical officer on duty. Okay, yeah. Sounds official. Yeah. Sounds important. 
Yeah, so I learned from that mistake of review the chart to make sure someone saw the patient before putting a discharge order in. Mm-hmm. But when you're juggling five trillion things at the same time, mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, yeah, you want something done? It's like you, you're you satisfied to be able to get something off. You're done. You're a long yes, I know. list of to-dos. Yes. But lesson learned. Mm-hmm. Wow, I have so many stories from MOD call. Just it so much happens. You're just pulled in so many different directions. Yeah. Are there any more that you want to share? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um you were you were mentioning how sometimes you just want to check off stuff off your list so you yes. can move on. Yeah. So yeah, when it's three or four in the morning and I get paged, I notice if I fall asleep, if I let myself sleep, I actually get my I actually get groggier when I wake up. Yeah. So for me, I probably shouldn't sleep during my call shifts. It's better to just stay awake because then I'm actually more alert than I would be if I yeah. go into REM sleep yeah. and then get paged and I am I groggily answer the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember one time when I had just woken up, I got paged about fever. Yeah. And so automatically I just order Tylenol. Yeah. But then thank God I went back to chart review that person more deeply because she was neutropenic and so i we need to do an infectious workup yeah and none of, there was no infectious workup that had oh. been done for her by that time mm. so i'm really glad that i went back to check yeah. because if the primary team came in the morning and saw that there was no infectious work ordered or yeah urine culture worked up yeah they would be like who is this intern <laughs> so yeah i don't know it's it's strange but each MOD call, I know how it works more. Yeah. So I actually learned for me personally, mm-hmm. I it's probably better if I don't sleep. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – the sleep is hard. I love my sleep. <laughs> Today, uh, this my one day off of the seven days – I was sorry, I worked six days a week. It was my one day off. Mm-hmm. I slept until nine. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. It's not even that late though. I know. And then <laughs> I took another nap at two o'clock. Oh, nice. But – the sleep thing in residency is pretty hard. The night call really throws you off. Yeah. And I think my mind is always like, it's nighttime sleep. But you're right. You get groggy. And I actually, my sleep is not even that restful because I just anticipate being paged. And so what I actually did when I wanted to really take a nap during uh, MOD call is I put the pager notification on just a vibrator and I put it like on my body. Wow. Yeah. That's but daring. I, because I, I knew I knew I wasn't gonna go into deep sleep. Oh really? I never do. And the the like traumatizes me. Oh my god, my heart skips a beat every it, time. every time. Even the seniors around me, they're like triggered. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the pager the pager sound, the dreaded pager sound. Oh my god. So I put it on vibrate to, to try to get some just like peace in my mind. Oh my gosh. For a semblance of five minutes. Oh man. You know what? I, at least it's every five days now versus the every four days of last year. Wow, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, we have it a lot better. Oh my gosh! Shout out to shout out our to seniors. our seniors who made change happen. They really paved the way. Yeah, that's respectable. Yeah, making change not for you but for the yeah. future. That's awesome. For MOD call, I notice I'm super anxious um, the morning of MOD oh. call. Yeah, I get super nervous. So you're not able to sleep during the day? Yeah, no, I'm not. Mm. I usually find the urge, I have an urge to go through the MOD review book mm. that goes through all the important things yeah. to know. Yeah. Yeah. MOD scares me. But it's also, it forces you to become a doctor because yeah. you need to make decisions right then and right. there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually enjoyed MOD call. I won't have, I, I'll have it a couple more times after, but... I actually like admitting call too. Honestly, anything is better than a 24-hour OB call. (laughs) (laughs) 24 hours is crazy. But did you know we have to do that for second and third year? Our schedules, it's not necessarily one thing for a whole 24 hours. But it's like clinic in the morning and then whatever. Yeah. And then overnight call. Yeah. But with L&D call, you're in Mm -hmm. L&D for 24 hours. It's crazy. Yeah. At least we have more weekends in second year, too. That's true. Silver lining? That's definitely true. So, yeah, I, I kind of want to start titling our episodes. And 
yeah. seems like this one is kind of centered around guilt the feeling of guilt yeah absolutely that we all have to go through but each time hopefully it gets easier to process yeah oh yeah did you ever find a therapist i know we talked about it last time yeah i have the number but mm-hmm. i've just been so busy on the dissertation that i haven't had the chance to call the number yeah i feel that but i have every intention to mm-hmm. it's actually very helpful when you speak to someone who's trained to yeah. ask certain questions right because i don't feel the pressure of oh i have to know exactly what to say right a good therapist would guide you right. with questions yeah. while also being supportive yeah. while also leading you through your emotions. Right. Yeah. So. That needs to be the number one thing on my to-do list. Yeah. Right now. Behind my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 9.18 p.m. You have to go to work tomorrow, right? Yeah. It's grandma's bedtime. <laughs> what time do you have to wake up? So I'm the only intern on for tomorrow because it's, oh, right. it's weekend day. So I plan on getting to the hospital at least by, at the latest, 5.30. Okay. You should sleep soon. I should sleep soon, yeah. Is it busy right now, the list? I looked at the list and it was like 16 to bring discharge. So hopefully not too busy. Okay. Overnight. Last weekend, I was carrying the maximum amount of patients I could carry. Ten. And we discharged, yeah. I discharged seven off my own list. Oh my god! Yeah, I That's was running. So ar- many- I was running around like a madman yesterday, last weekend. Wow! And I didn't leave the hospital till like seven thirty because I refused to bring notes home. That's a great idea, honestly. Yeah, don't bring notes home. <laughs> separate, separate work from life. Hmm. Yeah, you seem to do a pretty good job doing that. I have to. For me, I don't know. Sometimes I want to just come home and play music and drink beer. Yeah. That's all I want to do. I light my candle, pour myself a bottle of wine or a glass of wine. and Or I mean while writing notes though. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. See, I... If I'm at work, I just want to be at work mode. And when yeah. I'm at home, I want to be in my relaxation mode. And notes That's for me are not relaxation. No, they're not. So, anyway... I hope that this episode really highlighted the fact that doctors are humans and we Mm -hmm. make mistakes and it's okay to do so. And guilt is a completely normal process of Mm -hmm. training. Hmm. It sucks. Mm -hmm. But almost every single person goes through it. Right. Actually, what the therapist told me is the fact that you even feel guilt is a good thing. Yeah. It means you're not, she didn't say it like this, but it means you're not a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, we're not psychopaths. <laughs> Such low standards. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, time for grandma to go to sleep. Thanks for coming over, Lisa. Thank you, Tracy. This episode was brought to you by Golden Road Brewing Company, Banco Cart Ale. <laughs> and Trader Joe's Chardonnay. Yes. All right. All right, everyone. See you guys. See ya. Bye. Bye, guys.